Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for 
everyone who serves at Stewart Presbyterian Church. It's just a delight. I count my blessings. Lord, I thank you for for each one who who puts in so much time. I know the praise team and the folks in the booth have been putting in a lot of time, but the but the hospitality team's been doing a lot for us in, in recent days as well. And uh, outreach team's been working on some things. And uh, the, the folks down in the nursery and in, in Sunday school, and we're, we're just blessed with everyone that serves, our, our security team, the, the elders, the deacons. And Lord, just bless each one in their service that you might receive all the glory, that you might be exalted in this place, uh, that we might be a light uh, unto the community. So thank you for each one. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time as we gather around your word. Uh, we're just so blessed that you gave your word uh, to show us the way, to show us that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We pray now that you would illuminate your word by your spirit, that we would hear it, understand it, and indeed apply it to our living. In Christ's holy name, amen. I want to read John uh, chapter 14, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. For many of you, this is a, a familiar uh, text. Uh, you've probably, honestly, quite often heard it at memorial services or at funeral services, but it is a, a text of great joy for us and assurance and hope. John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thanks be to God for his holy word. Amen. We've been studying the, the I am statements, of course, of Jesus, and they are historical. They're spoken in a particular moment to a particular people. Uh, and into a particular circumstance. The I am statement in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, is no different. Here Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. We know this because John chapter 13 explicitly tells us in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved his disciples. He, he knew his time was coming near. He knew the grief and the anxiety and the pain that awaited them as they experienced his death upon a cross and ultimately as they experienced his departure into heaven. He knew they were going to feel anxious he knew they were going to feel like they'd been abandoned and left all alone. So in John chapters 13 to 17, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his departure. 
He gives them a new commandment. He, he tells them, I am the way and the truth and the life. He teaches them about the one who is to come in his place. He begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit. These chapters of John are what we call Jesus' farewell discourse. Uh, they're, they're his farewell speech, if you will. And you know, leaving something familiar or having someone leave us can be very, very difficult, can it not? Though it's been more than 30 years, I remember well our preparations to go off to seminary. We were excited about God's calling and the, and the beginning of what has been an incredible adventure. But at the same time, we were packing up all that we could take with us, storing the rest at our parents' homes, leaving behind engineering careers, and going to a city and a school that we knew very little about. And at the time of moving, we, we had no job prospects, not even uh, part-time jobs. Jeanette and I and our then-toddler Christina were starting over leaving behind family and friends, job and church in Cary, North Carolina, the town Jeanette had known as home since 1968. Those were some anxious moments, indeed. On top of all of that, my dad was in the process of dying of cancer as we left to go to seminary. In fact, I, I wanted to put off going to seminary to stay back a year or so and, and help take care of dad and mom. But my dad would have none of that. As I've told some of you, he said to me at that point, son, I'm probably not going to live to see you finish seminary, but I want to see you start. And then he also gave me uh, words about taking care of my mom after his departure. Those were indeed some very anxious moments for our family, but a time in, in which we were being prepared and I think Jesus was doing something similar with his disciples. He's, he's trying to encourage them by telling them, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be a wonderful, spacious place with many rooms. And, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to that place. But Thomas perhaps expressed the anxiety of every one of them in our own anxiety when he asked, verse 5, Lord, wait a minute, we don't even know where you're going. I mean, how can we possibly know the way? Of course, Jesus replies with some of the most well-known words in Scripture, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are some of the most well-known words, but they are also some of the most exclusive words Jesus ever spoke. They are also, to some people, some of the most offensive words that Jesus ever spoke. There are no loopholes here. Jesus is not a way, a truth, a life. But he says instead, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Not some can come through me and some can come through some other way. But instead, he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I've heard people say that Christians overuse those words. 
that those words offend people. We're viewed as intolerant and arrogant when we speak these words. And perhaps there are times when we've been intolerant and arrogant. But folks, these words are foundational truths of Christianity. They are not ultimately spoken by me or by any other believer. They are ultimately spoken by Jesus Himself. It's critical to understand what Jesus is and isn't saying. He's not saying I'm, not, I'm one of many or that I'm a great moral teacher or a wise sage or a pious man whose life you should emulate. He is all those things. He is moral, he is wise, he is exemplary. But he's declaring himself to be so much more. He's declaring himself to be the only Savior. And while Jesus' teaching is exclusive, it need not be offensive. In fact, we need to understand that Jesus is being very loving here, for he's telling us that he's the only path that will lead to life. All other paths are going to lead to destruction. He's, he's directing us away from that which would destroy us and leading us to Himself, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the threefold solution. James Boyce, in his commentary, beautifully reminds us that before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve, the first people, enjoyed a threefold privilege in their relationship with God. First, they were in communion with God. Uh, the way was open for them to be in relationship with God. Second, they knew God and they knew the truth that flowed from God. Third, they possessed physical and spiritual life. But all that was ruined when sin entered into the world, when they sinned. Instead of enjoying communion with God, they begin to experience an alienation from God. Instead of knowing the truth, they fell into falsehood and error. Instead of possessing life, they began to know something about death. But Jesus reverses that curse. He is the threefold solution. Instead of alienation, there is a way to God. Instead of falsehood and error, there is the truth about God. Instead of death, there is life eternal with God. It, it may be exclusive, but beloved, it is also incredibly good news. Incredibly good news. Jesus is the way. He, he's the way out of our total ruin from sin. He, he's the way out of all of our brokenness. The book of Romans is very clear about our condition apart from Christ. Romans 3.10, no one is righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned. And the result of that sin is death, eternal death, eternal alienation from God. But I didn't finish reading Romans 6.23, did I? For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And though Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and all have fallen short, there's a glorious verse after that. 
Verse 24, and we're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the way out of the guilt of our sin. Jesus bore our sin upon Him. He died in our place. He bore in His body God's just wrath for our sin. And by His death, He removed the guilt and the punishment that you and I deserve. Jesus is also the way out of the power of sin. We need to understand who we are in Jesus and our position and our power and the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That that's the way out of the power of sin. The great preacher Charles Hayden Spurgeon put it this way, Whenever I feel that I have sinned and desire to overcome that sin, the devil at the same time comes to me and whispers, how can you be a pardoned person and accepted with God while you sin in this way? If I listen to that, I drop into despondency. If I continue in that state, I will enter into despair. But God's grace comes in and says to me, you have sinned, but did not Jesus come to save sinners? Spurgeon continues, in my faith, says, though I have sinned, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and though I am guilty, yet by grace I am saved. I am a child of God. And what then? Well, why then the tears begin to flow and I say, how could I ever sin against my God who is so good to me? Now I will overcome that sin. And I get strong to fight sin through the conviction that I am God's child. You see, Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to become a child of God is through Jesus. But as a child of God... We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been given power over sin. We have power because we are children of the living God. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Jesus is also the truth. And he's very specifically, folks, the truth about God. And it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, I've come to tell you the truth. He didn't say, I've come to point you to the truth. He does both of those. But Jesus very specifically said, I am the truth. And he's saying, I am the truth about the Father. It's consistent with what Jesus says in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Or John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is saying, you want to know the truth about the Father? You want to know what God's like? Then look at me. I am the truth because I and the Father are one. We're one. If Jesus is the truth about the Father and he is, what does he teach us? Well, just a few things this morning. He teaches us that God is personal. God's not just a force who created the earth and set it in motion and, and, rule, and gave us rules that govern us. No, we see in Jesus that God is a person who continues to be with people, 
He continues to communicate with people. He continues to, to know people and want to live with people. Jesus also teaches us the truth that God is holy. You won't find that truth taught by anyone but Jesus, really. Jesus is the only one who has ever lived without sin. So he alone demonstrates that God is holy. Jesus also reveals the truth that God is a God of grace and mercy, and God is a God of love. God requires justice, but God came to us in Jesus willing to die for us. And he provided life and love and peace and joy and all the other wonderful blessings that we have in our Christian life. Jesus is the truth who teaches us that, that God is personal, that God is holy, that God is merciful. Jesus is also the life. Remember he said in John 10.10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I learned of my aunt's death as I was preparing for this sermon, and I knew in advance that I would be conducting her memorial service. As I've told you before, I simply could not officiate after service after service without the great promise of life for all those who trust in Jesus. That was actually my 149th memorial service. I looked it up before I did it. That averages about one every other month for the last 28 years. You can't do that, folks, unless there's hope of life eternal. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And it's a beautiful promise, isn't it? It's a wonderful promise. I'm so grateful that Jesus is the way. He, he's the way out of the guilt and power of sin. I'm grateful that He's the truth, yet that God does require justice, but He became a person in Jesus so that He might give us love and mercy and die in our place. I'm grateful that we have life eternal and life abundant. Grateful that nothing in life nor death can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8. I've been preaching this series primarily to people who already know uh, what I'm preaching about, to people uh, who, well, this just isn't new for most of you. But I'm concerned, church, that we're not living into the fact that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. I'm worried that the church today is weak. I'm weak. Because we're so busy being the church that sometimes we're forgetting the basics. We're forgetting to live into the good news. For example, we're not availing ourselves of the power to overcome sin. We're, we're forgetting that God has provided a way out in Jesus. We're forgetting that we're children of God and we can overcome temptation. We forget sometimes that Jesus is the truth about God and He demonstrates that God is the God of love and mercy. Therefore, you and I must give love and mercy. First to fellow believers and then to a dying and lost world. I'm afraid that the world speaks at least some truth, 
when they say about the church, well, we know what the church is against, but we don't really know what the church is for. Church, are we for love and mercy? Jesus is the life. And I hope we're very grateful for life abundant and eternal, but, but how are we doing at sharing His life? Are we life-giving to the people around us? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Do we believe it? And do we live it? Do we believe it? And do we live it? Let's pray together. Lord, I've got to confess that at times I'm weak, Lord, because I'm busy doing the things of the church instead of turning to the one who is the way and the truth and the life. We're all busy living each day, doing it in our own power instead of turning to You, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Lord Jesus, we thank You for being the way. We thank You for being the way out of sin's guilt, sin's punishment. We thank You for being the way to to stand up against sin's power. We thank You, Lord Jesus, for being the truth about God. Thank you for showing us that God is personal and and holy and merciful. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the life. Thank you for being life abundant and life eternal. We've come again today to declare that we believe that you are the way and the truth and the life. And then, Lord, we depart to live into that incredible I am statement. May we leave to live as if indeed you are the way and the truth and the life for you are. And may we do so to your glory, to your honor, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you, today and forevermore. Amen.